The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started, before we get started this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, rotoballer.com, proud sponsor of the show. Great products over there, premium products, premium tools, premium Slack chat, articles, a lot of free articles as well. A lot of great stuff over there. You know, I write a lot of DFS content at rotoballer.com for baseball and football. We have a lot of season-long content for baseball coming up even as the season winds on down. So go over to rotoballer.com, join the premium package, use promo code Bubba for 10% off the package of your choice. Also, if you are into fantasy sports, which you obviously are for listening to the show, and you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports, and you live for the short-term gratification at DFS, then you have to try it out. You have to try out Owner's Box, everybody. It's a weekly fantasy sports game on Owner's Box. WFS, not DFS, WFS, weekly fantasy sports. Head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged throughout live drafting and new multi-week games. OwnerBox will be playing out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first-ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. So basically... You sign up. You come play at Owner's Box. Use rotoballer.com slash box to sign up. Then you bring your friends in, and you get a little kickback for that. You have your own leagues, weekly leagues. Talk all the trash. Have all the fun. Hey, but that's not it. In honor of the NFL season going forward, Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit up to $50 when you head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your rewards and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports at WFS. For all you lovers of fantasy sports, weekly fantasy sports, owner's box, rotoballer.com backslash box for a $50 deposit bonus. Now to this new episode of Benched with Bubba.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 317. Going to continue on our 2021 outlook on the fantasy baseball season, talking some, like, we'll call them prospects, first, second-year players, guys that we were really intrigued with this year, maybe did really well, maybe struggled, maybe guys that uh, didn't get a cup of coffee we were hoping they'd get. But uh, we have a great prospect analyst, as always, to help us break all this down. He's been a very frequent guest on the show for obviously good reasons. And you can find his work over at rotowire.com and on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. James Anderson, how are we doing, my friend? Doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, really enjoying the playoffs. Hope you're hope you're doing all right. Yep, yep. I'm enjoying it as well. Uh, I saw you've been doing some content at Rotowire for the playoffs, making your picks, and you're doing awesome at that. Uh, just real quick, who do you got for the World Series? I mean it. It's a uh, it's a total toss up to me, and Vegas sees the Dodgers as an overwhelming favorite. So I think all the value is on the Rays side of things. I think there's um, some pretty uh, solid bets you can make at, at FanDuel or DraftKings if you want to get uh, some interesting odds. You know, like you can get the Rays winning the series four three at at really long odds. You can get the Rays just winning the series at, at pretty good odds. So I think it's it's a total toss up, but all the value, if you're going to bet it, is on the race side of things. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, uh, Part of me, just because I'm a Giants fan, go Rays. But um, I, I, there's something about the Rays. I've been rooting for them for a while. So hoping they do it. I like a lot of the guys on the Dodgers. So like, it is what it is. It would be cool to see them get a title as well. I guess in the end, as baseball fans, give us like at least six games. Like, Give us a series, yes. and we can go from there. But uh, let's talk some prospects here. And uh, first off, when I know you'll start you, – you got pro, you're doing prospect work all the time. But when do you uh, plan on having like a, your first real 2021 deep dive into rankings out there? So that'll probably be the one that uh, goes in the magazine. Okay. Um, and that I usually kind of finish that uh, around you know, mid-January, uh, early to mid-January. I did, you know, I spent a decent amount of time on the one that kind of closed out 2020. So what's up on the site is is fairly up to date. You know, I've even bumped uh, like a Resurena up um, to kind of reflect his, his little run. So I have been making some tweaks here and there, but um, yeah, the one that, the one that's up on the site should be pretty helpful for your first year player drafts, but there will be a, a really fresh and uh, an in-depth update coming, coming in uh, January. And last question before we actually get to the outline I've noticed, like we saw a Torkelson home run on Twitter yesterday, and they're doing instructs, and they're actually getting some of these guys out there. And in theory, could have been like an Arizona Fall League, but a little different for all of us. How much of that are you uh, trying to soak in as you're getting ready for 2021? Yeah, you want to. You, you obviously want to be careful to not uh, let just like one video like that yeah. uh, impact anything. Um, you know, Spencer Torkelson being able to hit a home run is not. <laughs> breaking news yeah uh but but it is it's nice when you can find notes uh from beat writers or uh contacts just about you know a guy that's that's really dialed in um over over a stretch of games if you can find that type of information that's that's useful if you can find uh pitcher velocity increases or something like that that's useful but uh definitely don't want to overreact just to see in a a video of of a sweet play yeah, for sure. But you mentioned Randy Rosarena, so we're going to start with 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 the man, the myth, and the legend that is just tearing the playoffs apart right now. And he had a really good season. I think people just kind of didn't really see it because it was the Rays, and maybe towards the end of the year saw that he was you know hitting towards the top of the order and doing things, and then he blew up in the playoffs. And 
I'm going to reference too early mock ADP a lot for the listeners, but uh, you know he's going around pick one one seventeen ish, give or take, in two early mocks. Got a little power, got or got a lot of power, got some speed and everything. Are what's your expectation for 2021? Because right now I think it's kind of tough to see him being this good all the time, but maybe he is. You you might know a lot more about him than I do. Yeah, so he's a really tough guy to rank um, as a prospect specifically, just because. By the time the playoffs are done, we're going to have about as many at-bats with a Rosarena as you can have with a player without him losing his pro- prospect eligibility because those at-bats obviously don't count against him for that. And then he's also just older than most prospects, so he makes for a really tough guy to rank. Um, I, I think you can throw that ADP out. Like I, I think he's going to be going in the fourth and fifth round in March. Uh, might, you know, might even see him creep into the third round in some drafts. Wow. So. Um, I think he's going to be kind of going in that sort of Trent Grisham range when we get to March, just because all the guys that are power speed just are going to float up the draft as, as we get closer and closer, because everyone's going to be so worried about building that power speed base early on. And a reservation is one of those types of guys. Um, I, I don't expect to end up with him a ton if, if that's where he does end up going, just because, uh, you know, I, I still see uh, some swing and miss there with him against right-handed pitching long-term. Uh, that's It's been an issue for him. I mean, he, he had like a 38% strikeout rate against righties in the regular season this year. And so I think he starts out with everyday bats in Tampa. But as soon as there's really any reason to to cut into his playing time a little bit, they just have so much depth that that he really can't afford to go on like a extended slump against righties. Um so just that alone is probably going to scare me away if he's going in the fourth round. But he's also the type of guy where I could see drafting him in a league with an overall component because the upside is so high, as we've seen uh, over the past month or so. He is the type of guy that could provide uh, second-round value in the fourth round if, if he just kind of picks up where he left off. So I see a case in an overall type of league like the main event, but I probably won't be going after him in home leagues. I'm glad you mentioned that last part because I've talked about that kind of theory with some other players like the DFS strategy, like cash games or tournaments. Um, if you want to go for the ceiling play, you go for Rezorin in an overall type deal. If you kind of want the more stable play, especially that early, like you're saying, in a 15-team league, you're going to want one, so not all, but most guys are going one to two starting pitchers in those first three rounds. Um, you're trying to get like a, a more stable, maybe five category or four category guy at least. So it, it's tough to go on that Rosarena where we've seen him do this. But like you said, there's still a lot of holes. He's still young. We can see a lot of uh, ups and downs there. I like the comp to Trent Grisham. I, don't, I didn't put him on the outline because I think we saw enough of him this year to kind of believe what we're getting out of Trent Grisham now. But he is going high in these drafts also. If you had to pick between the two, would you take what you've seen from Grisham and rather pick him where he's going or a Rosarena? I'd take Grisham. I think he's just kind of more locked in as like, we know he's going to hit really high in that lineup and he's going to play every day and, you know, hitting right in front of um, Manny Machado or or right next to Fernando Tatis. That's a pretty good spot to be. Um, I think he, like what he showed us even dating back to 2019, what he did in the minor leagues and everything um, like, and and then carried through this year in 2020, I think there's just more track record there. So, so I would go Grisham. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, let's go to uh, I, I just keep calling him Lou Bob. Uh, I've heard I heard now it's actually Robert, even though people said Robert because he said he made it easier for people. I always said Robert, and then I got critiqued for it by everybody, and now apparently that's what it is. So 
I also call him Blue Bob. That's what makes everybody happy. It's easy. He had a really interesting season. Like we saw the the film where he's hitting moonshots and the exit velocity's great. He's stealing bags. Then there's also those massive strikeouts and the low batting average. We know he's very talented, but is he pick 35 talented going into 2021? Or do you think it's going to take another kind of bump, like up and down season before he figures it all out? Actually, I like that, that price. Um, I think he's, he's a late second rounder who you can get in the early third. And uh, the appeal to me is that, um, you know, he's a guy, if you just look at where everyone's going in, in ADP, of the guys who aren't going in the first round, I think he's the best bet to go 30-30. And obviously there are significant questions about the approach, about the hit tool. But I, I just think it's going to be another up and down season for him. And at the end of the day, you're going to look down and all the counting stats are going to be there. And if, you know, to me, like worst case scenario is he hits like 230, uh you know, he could, he could still go 30, 30, even if he hit two thirty. Um, so I, I just, I think there's a chance that he can make significant improvements. He can learn and, and make the adjustments. Um, I, I saw him make adjustments at times last year. So I, I think it's in there and I don't think he's going to be satisfied with the way that he finished 2020. So I think you're getting a guy that actually has a, a kind of high floor, uh, which is sort of rare to say about someone with his type of hit tool, but just I think that the power and the speed are just so kind of locked into the profile at this point. And the counting stats, as I said, I think the runs in RBI in, in that offense, they're going to be there. Um, so to me, he's a worthwhile gamble uh, just from a batting average standpoint if you can get him in the third round. No, I like that, Dan. It's one of those things where we didn't have the long season this year. And it's, he's one of those ball players. He's going to run hot and cold a lot. But at the end of the season, like you're saying, that stat line is going to be there more often than not. So if you're in a roto format, that's all you ask for. Like you could literally just close your eyes and just go, okay, give me that. I'm in. Let's do it. Um, so that's a very good way to approach it because you're right. 30, 30. That's just like, you, you can't find that. That's why we, that's why we draft the Cunha where we draft the Cunha because you got 30, 30 upside. So now you're getting like, if, if, if Lou Bob does that this year, next time we talk about him, it could be conversations. He a top five pick. Like, so that's a very good, good point you make there that and he's young so maybe you know the swing and miss goes a little smaller now he gets 250 so um and then he jumps off the page and drafts so very very good uh, good point there that, that kind of gets me a mo- little more excited because I was kind of up and down on him quite a bit with uh when he when he seemed lost up there it was like really rough for a couple games but with the way he the aggressiveness I guess of the plate he's gonna be streaky and that's just yep. one thing I guess we got to expect so makes a lot of sense now this guy I know you're you're in the the Wisconsin area um, and so you probably hear about this all the time, but he's been a, a real issue, Keston Hira. And, you know, in college, one of the best hitters on all of college, like just the pure hit tool. We've talked about him on this show a few times. Like It's just – and we have a listener's question that if you have him in Dynasty, are you are you keeping him? This, the, the lack of ability to hit a fastball right now is very concerning to me, but the power is still there. It's just he seems kind of all over. What are you getting out of Keston Hira? So honestly, nobody on the Brewers hit like True. anyone was expecting them to. Um, I I don't know what it was with them. Uh, I don't know if you know that there's a chance that maybe they were running their own sign stealing operation and that that got shut down as well. Uh, I don't really know what it was, but for whatever reason, pretty much every bat in that lineup was was cold for for most of the season. Uh, I think I'm kind of just, 
you know, sometimes you just sort of have to blindly buy into the bounce back with a guy um, when it's that stark of a, of a decline. Uh, you know, like I think, um, like I think about a guy like, like Trevor Bauer uh, coming into drafts this year, like people were just like, well, why are you expecting, why is anyone expecting him to bounce back to what he was? Look how bad he was last year. Like sometimes there's just that, that dead cat bounce where you just kind of have to expect the regression to happen uh, closer to the mean. So I, I think Kira going in the seventies is fine. Um, you know, second base is probably the shallowest yeah. position other than catcher right now. Uh, so that's, that's a small mark in his favor. He's not a good defender. That's well-documented, but he is locked into everyday playing time. You, you have to think in that lineup. I mean, they need him to be a good hitter. Like if, if Kessinger is not a good hitter, then the Brewers really aren't going anywhere as a team. Uh, so I think the bats are there. The counting sets are there. The, the power is definitely going to be there. I uh, could flirt with 10 steals. Um, so I would, I would expect something like a 250 average. And if he hits better than that, then, then you're making a pretty good profit there. But I think he can stomach that in the 70s. Yeah, I think the big factor that he's a second baseman, like you said, so shallow. That helps a ton when you're here. And everything else is still great. Just a little tweak in the batting average. You look at his BABIP was low compared to his career normals things along those lines. So just kind of turn a few strikeouts into balls in play. You might be back to normal. And um, again, I'm going to probably say it way too many times because the list is all young players, but he's 24 years old. Like there's still a lot of things that could change in a positive way in his situation. So I, I saw his, him going 70 and I'm sitting there kind of like you were saying, he's got to kind of trust that they're going to be there and realize if you get his, you know, 80th percentile, you're getting mm-hmm. a steal at 70. So Yep. Very interesting spot there. Now, this guy, Sixto Sanchez, he took the fantasy world by storm, the baseball world by storm, when he made his uh, appearance this year, and he pitched relatively very well. Uh, doesn't walk many guys, not as many strikeouts as you'd hope for, but the K to walks, not bad. Um, going to have a spot in the rotation, but he's going to pick 80. Like This is where a lot of more trusted pitchers are going. What's your outlook on a Sixto Sanchez? So when I, I went through and, and put together a set of rankings that are up on the site right now, uh, just way too early set of top 400 rankings um, for redraft leagues. And the thing that I noticed, and I, I did a couple draft champions, slow drafts as well to kind of prep for that. The thing I've noticed about the player pool the most uh, heading into 2021 is just that the pitching inventory is just not very good. It's not as good as we're accustomed uh, to it being because so many number ones and number twos are questionable from a health standpoint. Like you've got like Denilson Lamette, Mike Clevenger. Um, you got the guys coming back from Tommy John. There's just like, you got Mike Soroka coming back from a, an injury. There's just so many guys, even um, like Corbin Burns with his oblique, uh, Steven Strasburg coming back from a hand surgery. Like there's just so many guys with little uh, nicks that you're, you're a little bit worried about them from a health standpoint and a workload standpoint. Uh, and that's going to push the guys like Kyle Hendricks, like Sandy Alcantara, Dylan Bundy, uh, Pablo Lopez, like into the top 100 and six does getting pushed up right there with him. I, I would take all of those guys ahead of him, but if they're all gone and I need my SP three or maybe even my SP two, mm-hmm. uh, I would take him over guys like uh, Framber Valdez, Jesus Lizardo, all those second tier Dodgers pitchers, the young guys, I would take six to over all those guys, even though, you know, maybe Valdez is more proven. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're all risks to me from a workload standpoint. I, I don't really think six does a risk from a performance standpoint. Um, so it, it does seem like 
quite a price to pay. But when you look at the pitchers that are available, when you get to pick 80 in a draft, it's just, it's not what we're really used to. So I, I get it. I'm glad to hear that because, uh, you know, I'm, the two early mocks, obviously no cash on the line. So guys might do a little more goofiness in those, but you're playing in actual cash leagues. So it's good to hear that you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Cause I was, we've been doing shows on kind of what takeaways from the two early mocks and man, after like, it, it makes you want to take pitching so much sooner now. Cause it's terrifying once you get out of the first like 75 picks. Then once you go to like 120 and beyond, it's even like, just yeah. really like, Whoa, what are we doing here? And I think that's why I took Sixto as my SP3, like in round seven, I think, in mine, because I'm sitting there going, okay, stability-wise, almost everything you just said. I'm sitting there going, yes, his innings are a concern, and that's my biggest takeaway from this shortened season is younger arms that haven't established themselves yet, they might kind of get the the glove treatment. Where veterans, like Jake Odorizzi said it on Eno's Rates and Barrel the other day, I thought it was perfectly said, is a veteran knows how to ramp themselves up. They know how to, like, to them, a year off like they had basically is good for their arm. And they'll be able to bounce back to a normal workload where a younger guy hasn't got there yet. So that's where kind of when you're drafting, where do you go? And six still kind of makes you think a little bit. But we're pretty much on the same page well, there. Like, and and to, to, let's just talk about Ian Anderson quick. Um, yeah. Like, he, to me, he's almost like the poster child of this. Or maybe even a guy like uh, Marco Gonzalez where – like I look at where you could draft like Kenta Maeda or Zach Gallon or Max Fried last year, they were kind of going outside of pick 100, sort of in that 100 to 140 range. And now you have to take guys like Ian Anderson and Marco Gonzalez there. Like those are not the same, like no. picking between Zach Gallon in 2020 versus picking uh, Ian Anderson in 2021. Like you really have to take a leap of leap of faith on, on the pitching set. No, that's a great point because, yeah, that was like the, the glob last year. Gallon, Eduardo Rodriguez before COVID, uh, all those guys, and you're thinking, going, okay, here's my value, guys, like this. Yeah, and now it's – literally I saw it on Twitter the other day. They had a discussion on is Marco Gonzalez worth his price, and I'm, it's like, no, but kind of. Like when, yeah, like when we sit and talk about it. You you at least know you're getting six innings from yep. him every start, and yep. like that's just – that's a rarity. Mm-hmm. He's basically like I'm all. He's kind of a poor man's Kyle Hendricks, like kind of yeah, like that's what exactly. you're getting out of him. So yeah, um, another guy that kind of took the world by storm, really out the gates. Then kind of he was good, but wasn't nearly as dominant the rest of the season. Is Kyle Lewis going around pick 103 in drafts? We know the powers there. Average is a question. Gonna play every day in, in uh, Seattle. Big time prospect for them. Is he worth 103? Yeah, I think that's about right. Uh, I might have him like. 10 or 20 spots lower, but uh, I'm really trying when I'm taking an outfielder or a middle infielder, I want a guy that can get me double digit steals and he accomplishes that goal. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think the batting average concerns with him, like, you know, a Rosarena Grisham guys like that. We were mm-hmm. talking about, I mean, Lewis could, Lewis could hit kind of around where those guys hit and, and the power and speeds there. So I think, he, I think he's fine where he's going. I think one thing I, I, I tell myself a lot and then I forget it when I talk about guys like Kyle Lewis is I look at, you know, a couple of years ago, he was kind of up and down average wise. And what I try to like tell myself is this is a new era of baseball where, you know, three true outcomes is what it's all about. It seems like, and a two fifty average is actually really good. Like if you got a full team of two fifties, what's the worst your team gets in a row to at least the mid pack on the average department, maybe a little like, so in reality, it's not the end of the world. It's not what you want. But if you have one or two guys spike, you're good. So, you're, yeah, you're, you're on a, a Kyle Lewis. Now, this one's going to be interesting to me. Alec Baum, pick 123. 
we knew about him coming out of college. We knew about him all in the minors hitting the ball. He steps onto the big scene, still hit the ball great in the middle of the order for the Phillies. Everything's hit hard. Like the stat cast page is ridiculous. And he's going to play every day in the middle of a very good batting order. Is 123 the right price? Or is there an argument that you could see him moving up even higher? Um, you know, I, I have him close to there, but I, I, I just don't like taking, uh, like my thing with bomb is just, I don't know if the batting average and big time power are going to be there at the same time. Like he can hit for power and BP. He hits the ball hard. Uh, but really the, the one time he just did a ton of damage in the power department was when he's playing at Reading in the minors and his ISO last year was 144. So that, that kind of came to fruition where, yeah, he was hitting for a really high average. That's going to come down. Um, you know, there's, there's not really much to support him being a 338 hitter, but he could hit like around 290. Uh, I just don't see it being 290 with 30 bombs. Like I, I could see it maybe being 300, 305 with uh, 20 bombs. But I think if he really taps into that power, the batting average is going to come down as a result. And to me, I just I don't want to take a corner guy with no speed who doesn't have that elite ceiling in the power department uh, that in that part of the draft. I'm probably taking pitching, maybe a closer, um, maybe a guy that's going to steal some bases, that kind of glob of second baseman like the Cronenworth, uh, Chris Taylor types uh, is sitting right there, the multi eligibility guys. Um, I'd rather take a guy like Garrett Cooper or Rowdy Telez, like 100 picks later than Alec Baum, personally. But um, maybe I'm underselling the hit tool. Maybe he's just going to be this guy that hits 330, 320 every year, and, and the power eventually gets there. But to me, it's just not exactly how I want to con- uh, construct my roster. No, and that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm just curious because I was looking at his ADP, and it's, so he's the 15th third baseman coming off. But then you have guys like Boustakis. Donaldson coming later, Sano's later. I don't know if I'll have third base eligibility this year, though. Uh, we got Tommy Edmond. Um, I don't mind Kyle Seager, Hunter Dozier, Nick Senzel. I'm going to jump to this guy on the outline, though, at pick 210's Cabrian Hayes. Now, that's another third base. We saw him. Didn't hit with a ton of power in the minors, but he showcased some in the bigs, and the, the average was still there. And that's kind of been the, the chatter with him that I read about was the average. Would you rather go with Bomb? Maybe not 123, but would you take Bomb over Cabrian Hayes, or would you take, or would you wait till 210 for Hayes? I would actually take Hayes over Bomb straight up. I actually have uh, mm-hmm. Hayes kind of ranked right where Bomb is going, like in the the 120 range. Uh, I think that of all the guys that we're going to talk about, I think he's the best steal uh, if we're just trusting this ADP. Um, the, the one thing, like, I, I always sort of had him ranked in that sort of 20 to 70 range because I always believed in the hit tool, and obviously the defense was going to get him playing time, and I, and I think the speed is going to be greatly undersold all offseason because he stole just one base. I think he's a 15-steal guy in a full season. Uh, the sprint speed backs that up. The attempt rate in the minors backs that up. And so you're getting a 15-steal guy at a position where you're not typically getting speed that just gives you so much versatility with how you're building your team. Um, the power, when we were looking at him as a prospect, it was just like, is he going to tap into that power? I thought he probably would, but I wasn't sold that he would. But now I kind of am sold that he's going to at least be a 20 homer guy. And if he's that, I just think he's a five category guy at third base uh, that's going to hit really high in that lineup. Um, so I'm, I'm taking Hayes over bombs straight up. That is outstanding. That is uh, very good to hear. Uh, Ian Anderson, you handed out him a second ago. He's going to pick 131. 
I what I saw during the regular season kind of had me scratching my head. The postseason was like, whoa, where did this come from for me? But uh, t- touted prospect, so obviously we knew the pedigree was there. What guy do you think we get? Is this the playoff guy, or is it more the regular season, Ian Anderson? Well, he's just he's such a crazy case of, um, you know, his fastball command was just so crappy uh, last year, and uh, I'd heard his breaking ball backed up um, over the past couple of years, but his changeup was just such a weapon for him, and he dialed back his fastball usage, and that kind of unlocked. Uh, a new type of pitcher than, than what he'd kind of been in the minor leagues where it's sort of all about getting to that change up. And I, like, I'm not going to feel good if I take him at, at that ADP, but I understand why he would go there. Um, there's probably some more boring guys that I would take around there. Uh, but like, I, I get it. You just run out of arms with upside in a hurry. And, you know, maybe, maybe some of this is, sustainable and maybe he's a sp2 next year um i'm not going to rule it out and it's a good team context but i can't quite get there on him uh, like with Sixto, i loved him so much as a prospect there's some confirmation bias uh, probably but anderson i was always a little bit lower on so i'm, I'm probably not going to take him at cost no that makes sense that's that's confirmation bias recency bias are two things that stand out big time in these adps like, like that's that's one thing we're going to get early on that's why it's fun to compare like in march where do these yep. guys stand uh you mentioned jake cronenworth a second ago and my goodness like paul spore wants to make shirts everyone was just glued <laughs> to what we saw rake cronenworth at one point in time going around pick 141 this guy i know i've taken the bait in some of these early drafts there's other times I say, no, let me see what else I can get because I know he's young. And we saw kind of both sides of what we get out of Jake Cronenworth this season. Where do you stand on Jake Cronenworth? Do you believe more of what, like the coming out the gate guy or more kind of the way he ended the season? Uh, when I looked at his stretch to end the season, to me, it just looked like he was getting unlucky. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm more the guy he was uh, when he was running hot. I, I, I like him where he's going. I think the fact that he's going to be eligible at first base, second base and shortstop next year is mm-hmm. huge. Like that's, that's a big swing. You know, if yeah. you can put a guy in the corner infield and the middle infield spot or second base where it's really shallow, uh, that just gives you so much flexibility. So I like where he's going. I think there is power, speed, hit all kind of to varying degrees is all there with him. So kind of a five category guy sneakily. Uh, there's a chance he could sit uh, at least against tough lefties, maybe against um, most lefties. But I think that lineup's good enough, and the position um, uh, eligibility is a nice little bonus there that even if he falls into the strong side of a platoon, I think I'm okay with it. Yeah, I know there was points last year where the platoon was in question, and once he started hitting, they just let him keep playing against lefties, right. and that's that was like music to my ears when I saw that. Now, if we can just get him to hit like behind Trent Grisham in, in the order before Machado and Tatis, now that would be awesome. So uh, we'll yes. see how that goes. But, you know, we can't have everything. Um, Baltimore, as tough as it was for them to win baseball games at times, they had a very fun young team. And that was one thing. Like Renato Nunez is always there. Um, Hansel Alberto, they're getting older, of course, but they were fun. But then they brought up like a DJ Stewart who we saw go through a tear. And then Ryan Mountcastle was the guy that, many of us thought would be on the team to start and he wasn't even on like the expanded roster. And then they, like all kinds of back and forth. Maybe he had COVID, maybe he didn't, we don't know, but he gets the call and he started just doing what everyone wanted him to do, hitting the ball hard and effectively he's going around pick 157. Where do you look at that? Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, I think he'll have first base and maybe outfield also eligibility. 
Yeah, you know, he's another one kind of in that Alec Baum tier where good player, good young hitter, exciting to watch him debut uh, this past year. But I think you're kind of paying um, sort of for the best case scenario if you're taking him in the 150s. There's just there's so many of these corner guys that are going outside of the top 200 that are more boring but are going to give you the exact same stats that Ryan Mountcastle is going to give you. Like Garrett Cooper is going to give you the exact same stats as, as Ryan Mountcastle. So I – I think he's got a pretty swing. I think he's definitely going to play, even though he's a terrible defender, just because of the, where they're going right now. But um, I just think you're overpaying, given the fact that he's not going to give anything a stolen basis. Yeah, we can't draft on a league together next year because you keep mentioning Derek <laughs> Cooper, and that's just not going to go well. Because that's the guy I was—I I wrote him up everywhere last season before it started. And I, once he kind of got hurt, people forgot about him. Like I had him everywhere. Like that, that I, talent's too good. <laughs> I didn't. I did not have him everywhere. But when I kind of dug into how he played this season, I was like, wow, like this guy's actually legitimately a really good, like middle of the order hitter and nobody's treating him like that in dress. Yeah. When the DH got installed, I was like, this is one of the bigger benefactors you're going to see because Don Madley just can't hide him anymore when you have that no excuse. So yeah, I was happy about that. Dylan Carlson. We were all happy. We finally got to see him play baseball because the Cardinals played around with that for a while. We know what we get with Dylan Carlson, a little power, speed, average is all there. Great glove in the outfield should keep him on the diamond. He's going to pick 150 or 167, so about 10 picks after Mountcastle. Are you more of a, a Carlson guy, or is he another one where the outfield's so deep you just kind of let it go? I I like Carlson maybe, maybe a couple rounds higher than this um, because – like if you were following the Cardinals down the stretch, he kind of became their second best hitter after Paul Goldschmidt. Now it was only for a few weeks um, before the season ended, but that lineup is, is sneakily just not very deep, not very good. I think you're going to see Carlson hit in the top four spots of that lineup for most of next season uh, with all that factored in. And I think he's got sneaky like eight to 12 steal, uh, potential. So I think he's more than a four category guy. Um, tons of pedigree. Like, you know, I, I think next year could be his breakout year. So I'm willing to roll the dice on him where he's going. Um, kind of like an OF three with upside and OF so deep that even if he's just not that great, you could probably make up for it. True. Yeah, no. And he was batting like third or fourth, like you said, towards the end of the season, even in the playoffs, they had him right there. Lefties, righties didn't matter. So, and it was one of those deals I know I, I read, I think it was Eno Saris kept tweeting it every day about Dylan right. Carlson that they weren't even throwing him fastballs. Like that's how, that's how much respect the other teams were giving a prospect. So. And, and so there, there's your classic, like you're going to see an adjustment period there because yep. he's not used to that. So like his numbers initially kind of suffered, but then once he kind of made that adjustment, you know, right. I think he walked more and he struck out in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, like I, I just think this is a guy that kind of came out of this season with a very secure role. No, that's a very, very good point. And like, do you see uh, the way I see it? At least, do you see like a twenty twenty type guy upside player here, or do you not um, see that much speed? Maybe I, I think I'm thinking more kind of like twenty eight twelve with uh, a ton count. of runs, ton of RBI, that type of thing. Okay, that definitely works. All right, we'll go back to Milwaukee here. Devin Williams took the world by storm out of the bullpen. Uh, Josh Hader's still there for now. That, that could obviously change over time. Everyone wants to take Williams early, even though he wasn't – like he's the new Drew Pomeranz going into this year, uh, but maybe he gets a closer's role. Who knows? Are, where do you stand on Devin Williams? Uh, I mean, I, I definitely buy the stuff. I just don't 
I'm just hands off on him from a health standpoint. He finished the year with the shoulder injury. I'm not drafting any pitchers who finished the year hurt. Like I'm just not doing it right now. If we get to March and he looks healthy over multiple spring appearances and the stuff's there, then sure. Like I'd be interested because the talent is definitely there. Like he's probably one of the five best relievers in baseball next season if he's fully healthy but I just people in these early drafts I don't get what it is it's like they're treating Mike Clevenger and Denilson Lamette and Corbin Burns and Devin Williams like they're just going to get the exact same guy they got for um whenever these guys were healthy like you might but there should be a pretty significant discount with all those guys in my opinion yeah, when you mentioned Clevenger and Lamette, I'm like terrified already because they're like, oh, no, we're not going to have surgery. We'll let them sit out for like two months. Then we'll start throwing them again. We've seen how that story ends. Like, yeah. More often than not, it's just not good. <laughs> so It's it's not fun to talk about. No. Why, why draft an injured pitcher in October? Yeah. Like they have so much more time to get their own injuries that they don't yeah. already have. Like exactly. you're inevitably going to draft a guy who gets hurt in spring training. Why yeah. bring that injury onto your roster in October? He said another key thing there that I'm very excited about this year, as long as things keep moving the way they're moving, we might get spring training, which will help you and I and many others that do what we do so much more because they can actually see something. So that'd be yes, please. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, This is a guy that I'm very mad because I picked him up in a lot of places, spent some fab money on him when the rumors were looking good. He never got to see the Mariners real field when the pros were on it. Uh, Jared Kelnick. And I found out that's how you spell you say it today. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Kelnick. Um, we know the hit tool is amazing. And he should imagine start out with the team next year unless something crazy happens. He's going to pick 178. So at that point, you better hope he's starting out with the team. So what do you see with uh, Kelnick? Yeah, I think that that's, that's a good spot for him to be going right now. I could see him going 75 spots higher in March if things are trending in the right direction. Uh I, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do some sort of Luis Robert extension with him before the season to kind of get that service time stuff taken care of so that he can start the year on the opening day roster. And I mean, if he has a good spring training, he's going to be going inside the top 100 in main event drafts. But I think right now, given the information we have, I think he's going in a fine spot there. Is top 100 too rich for your blood? You know, um, may it, it might depend the type of league I'm in. Like, sure. what's my roster look like? How many outfielders do I have? I'm I'm probably okay missing the boat on a top 100 pick on him, but um, you know, maybe I get swept up in something in March if if. But like, I, I think Carlson versus. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, yep. like, I would probably just take Carl. Like, Carlson's not going to get as hyped as Kellenic because we've never seen Kellenic struggle against big league pitching, whereas we have seen that happen with Carlson. So I'd rather just take Carlson. Like, I, I would guess in March, Carlson's going like two or three rounds later. No, that was, that was where I was going with that. Even if we saw Carlson struggle, we've seen him. That's a big plus in my book. So I, I go that route also. Wander Franco, going to pick 180. You know, set everybody a buzz yesterday on Monday, thinking he was on the roster for the World Series uh, on his Instagram, putting pictures of the World Series jersey out there. But he's on the um, the alt alt squad. But people ran with that, of course, because that's what they do. But we know the talent's legit. He just didn't get his chance at the Rays this season. 
assumptions are. I know I think Clay was all over him going into <laughs> yeah. this year too. Um, and hey, he, Clay, he, he's, he plants his flags. We've seen how well it works, so I'm never going to doubt that. But um, where do you where do you see Wander fitting in next year? Because the Rays they should play him, but it's also the Rays that have so many people in play still. Yeah, this is another one where you know I, I could see him going inside the top 100 in late March, or he could be going outside of the top 200 in late March, just kind of depending where his roster spot appears to be trending. It's, it's tough because you're, you're totally right. Like the Rays have so much depth. It's crazy, especially at the positions where, where he can play. Um, but what are they seriously gonna, like, how long do they plan on keeping him in the minors next year? Like true, you would, you would expect him to be up, within the first couple of months, unless he's struggling, I don't think he would struggle. If you don't bring him up within the first couple of months, then you kind of get to that point in the calendar where it's like, well, now are we starting this clock now? Um, it, it's, he's a tough guy to value right now. I think the ADP is totally fine. He's absolutely talented enough to, to warrant kind of a, a gamble in the late, uh, you know, that 170 range. Um, but I, I really just don't know. I mean, we're going to see that they're probably going to trade two or three guys on their roster and probably trade four and other two or three guys that aren't on their roster before now and then. So just, it's something to monitor, but uh, it could really uh, shake out uh, many different ways. In the True. He's one of those players. There's always a handful of them for those like that draft this time of year or in November, December, you're either going to come out smelling like a rose or it's going to really sting because he took the chance. But like you said, you never know. You take him at 170 now and by March, he's a top 100 pick and you're thinking and- awesome. And there's a big difference between doing that with Franco this year versus like, I know Joe Adele, like his peak yeah. ADP was like this time last year where everyone was like, Oh, Joe Adele, he's a top prospect. I'll take him. And then everyone started to realize, wait, like actually he's not like, I mean, prospect people knew he wasn't big league ready. At least I think most of them did. Um, but that, that was one where there was not only risk of, is he going to get the call, but risk of him um, struggling yeah. against big league pitching. I don't really think there's a risk of Franco not paying off that pick if he plays. It's just the risk of he might not play until July. Yeah, that's a great point. And you you saved me from Joe Odell last year when we talked about him because I wasn't like all in with him, but I was, you know, you, you'd listen to some of the hype. Like, okay, the guy's going to be good and everything. And you fly right on my show, he's not ready. Like just like you pointed out all the flaws and they were pretty much all there that uh, made, made, made it happen. And he, he, Really never got going to, to be honest this year. This never came out, but he's going to pick 201 right now. Is that still too rich? Are you thinking, you know, he took some bumps and bruises this year? He's going to learn from that and now he's worth taking the gamble on? Yeah, I think that that's, that's where he should be going. Um, I would probably end up with a couple shares of him at, at that ADP if that's where he's going in March. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to all click in 2021. We might have to wait till 2022. I do think it will eventually click with him, though. And, you know, we've seen guys have about as bad of a debut as he had and right the ship really quickly. And, and like, we saw it with Aaron Judge. And I think when Judge did it, he was maybe two or three years older than, than Adele is right now. Um, so, like, a guy can make massive adjustments, especially a really talented player, can make those massive adjustments uh, in short order. So I wouldn't rule it out. Um but if he starts getting pushed up, like if he's hitting the ball well in like 10 spring training games and all of a sudden he's going top 150, then I'm probably out. 
No, that makes sense. Uh, Tristan McKenzie going around pick 203. We saw him have – it was weird watching him. He was either really, really lights out dominant or he kind of struggled because he was uh, wild and kind of started grooving it, it felt like, to get out of trouble. Where do you stand on him, and would you rather wait to 203 for him or go at pick 80 for Sixto? I'd rather take Sixto at ADP. Okay. Um, uh, and I would I would rather take Cal Quantrill 100 picks later um, Ooh, because I think – I think it'll be a battle between Quantrill and McKenzie for that last rotation spot. And I kind of think Quantrill is a bit more proven. Um, McKenzie's shown a higher ceiling, undoubtedly. But all of the concerns with him physically um, and from a health standpoint that led to him falling outside my top 100 and even outside my top 200 um, at the absolute worst of his back trouble, like – the slight frame, that stuff, it's its still all there with him. And so I don't know how we can expect him to all of a sudden log even 120 innings in a season, especially when you look at the last time he logged 100 innings in the minors. Um, you're really – you can't count on much more than 80 to 90 innings from McKenzie in the rotation in 2021. Um, so I, I just – I get why he's going where he's going because, as we talked about pitching, it just dries up so so fast. Um, but I think there's a chance Cal Quantrill is the better Indians pitcher next year. I like that call. I drafted Quantrill last year, hoping that he'd get a chance with the Padres. That didn't work out so well. But I, I kind of I've been on that train with him, thinking he's he's value where he's going. And most well, two years in a row now it looks like. But um, Gavin Lux, pick one ninety six. This is a guy that has all the tools, just hasn't been able to find consistent playing time with the Dodgers because they're the Dodgers. Do you still want to take a chance on Lux? Because, again, like the race situation, there's still going to be a lot of people there with the Dodgers. Yeah, I think that this is one where he had a chance over the last, like, six weeks to kind of take a, a job and run with it. Um, but he didn't do what, what Carlson did with the Cardinals. He, he struggled, and he kind of fell out of the mix completely. And – Justin Turner is going to be a free agent this offseason. Um, so, you know, maybe he leaves, but they still have guys like Chris Taylor, Edwin Rios hanging around. Um, you know, they have guys that can get at bats if they don't think Lux is ready. And so I just – I don't know if the role is going to be there for him in April. And I, I'm, I'm sure at some point in 2021 he's going to start playing every day and he's going to be good. I just don't know when that's going to be. And – maybe in March it starts to look like he's going to be the everyday second baseman. He's just having a great spring training, uh, rave reviews from Dave Roberts, all the rest. And then I'll probably be back in, but just right now, I think there's too much uncertainty with the role. No, that's fair. Cause yeah, the talent's pretty darn awesome. We've seen it at times. It's just yeah. not getting there. Okay. we got a couple of kind of longer later round guys that I don't know. I stand on both sides of the fence on some of them. Um, Brady Singer picked two ten. you know, he was picked, what, last year, the year before by the Royals, so really recent. And he got got the call early, and he showed a lot that there is to like. Now there's the argument, well, he faced the Central. That's an argument we've already heard a lot. We'll play here a lot this offseason. But I think his worst starts were against the best of the Central, and then he dominated the guys he was supposed to dominate. So he saw the good and the bad. Where do you stand on a guy like Brady Singer? Again, we talked about how bad pitching gets in these drafts, or, not, or how tough pitching gets in these drafts. 210 might be worth a shot. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with him there. Um, he's not an upside guy to me, but 
the floor is pretty high because he's going to go five plus innings. Like he, he kind of proved that this year. He's not one of those guys where it's like two and two thirds, four and two thirds. Like he, he's a guy that's going to qualify for wins and he's not a high end guy. Ideally you're, you're mostly starting him on weeks where he has two starts or maybe he's facing the tigers, but you need those guys at the back of your rotation. Cause it dries up so quickly. Those guys where you just, you know, they're going to be on their teams uh, in their team's rotation all season long. Uh, it's a good park, obviously. Um, you like him throwing to Sal Perez. So, I mean, I'm okay with him there. He's not an upside guy, but I think he's, he's got a pretty high floor. Real quick, I didn't throw it on the outline, but since we're talking to Royals and they have, you know, Keller and Duffy, but they have Chris Bubick. And he kind of started out a little rocky, but it seemed like he got better and better as the season went on. Nothing dominant, um, maybe only five innings sometimes, but started getting six or more, some strikeout upside there. I don't even know if he's been drafted yet. I don't think he's been drafted. Do you have any insight on maybe gambling on him later, or is he strictly a streamer as well? Uh, I think I think he will go in all fifteen team drafts. He's outside of my top three hundred, but he's he's the type of guy where he's got the role pretty locked in. Um, what he did really last year, like it, it doesn't jump off statistically, but when you factor in his lack of level experience, I mean, I know he's twenty three, but he never even pitched at Double A before last year, and so for him to just keep his head above water, log a four three ERA. That's pretty impressive for a guy with his lack of upper-level experience, so I think he could take a step forward. Uh, I've always thought of him as more of a number-four starter long-term. Like the guys like uh, Daniel Lynch and Asa Lacey and Jackson Cower, those are the guys that are coming with the upside. Uh, Bubik's not one of those guys to me, but uh, he's going to be in the rotation all season, I think, and I don't think he's going to kill you, so I think he's fine outside the top 300. All right, this one, Ison Diaz, the Marlins – didn't really like he's the one I think that opted out then opted back in and he was all over the board this year with the Marlins uh you, you sent me a message because I have him at 223 but that's because he's only gone in one league so obviously you think he's gonna go much later he should have an everyday role with the Marlins at least is he a guy worth gambling on late as like a middle infield option I don't think so um I you know this is second base right like mm-hmm. this is what's happening at second base after pick 200 all the <laughs> options dry up and to me, if you miss out on that, like Jake Cronenworth, uh, Tommy Edmond, uh, Chris Taylor group of guys, then I'm just taking one of the Mets. I'm taking Robinson Cano if I don't need speed. I'm taking Andre Semenez if I do need speed. I'm not messing around with guys like Isan Diaz. Like Isan Diaz, to me, he could get designated for assignment next year. Like he, he hasn't done anything uh, to really justify that 40-man roster spot, especially when you've got more talent coming up through the minors. Uh, with the Marlins, like I think Jazz Chisholm, I'd rather have Jazz Chisholm next year than he sent Diaz because Chisholm's going to run. And I think that they are going to make a priority of giving Chisholm the playing time next to Miguel Rojas in that middle infield at some point next year, if not right away. So, um, you know, that's that's one where the Christian Yelich trade is, is going to keep looking worse with regards to Isan Diaz. Um, so I, I think his time as a, as a fixture in that lineup is is maybe over. Good to know. Um, Jared Walsh came out of – well, didn't come out of nowhere. He saw him hit 36 bombs last year, and, you know, he's hit for decent average in in, in the minors. But really, we, I don't think anybody expected this. A strikeout rate of 13.9%. Hasn't seen that since 2015 in the minors. Hit uh, hit 293, nine homers, and 108 at-bats. 
the questions are like, does he have everyday playing time next year with Otani and still pull holes and others? But the hit tool looked pretty good. So what's your takes on Jared Walsh, especially going to pick 240? You know, he was one of the more surprising breakout prospects last year. But I think if you look underneath the hood, it it all kind of checks out. I don't know how he cut his strikeout rate from uh, well north of like 30% to like 14%. But he did it, and he did it over enough plate appearances where I think we have to take it seriously. And he's always had plus power. I actually have him uh, and Ryan Mountcastle ranked back-to-back for next year. So if you can get one of them almost 100 picks later, uh, that's the guy that I'm going to be going with. And, you know, the the Otani thing, I don't know what they're going to do with Otani, but if you look at that lineup, Jared Walsh is one of their, like, three or four best hitters. Yeah. And that, that's kind of a sad state of affairs, but mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's currently the case. So I think he's <laughs> going to be playing. And I'm with you, and I think it's eventually gets to the point where Pujols kind of swallows his pride and realizes, okay, they'll let me play a couple days a week, but – if this team's going to be any good, like Trout might just sit him down and go, hey, buddy, like <laughs> I, I just signed a big deal and I'd like to one day make the playoffs so my kids can see this. Like, can you just stop for a second there? Okay. I think that might help a little bit. But because uh, if he's out of the way, then Jared could play every day. Um, Dalton Varsho, this is one that many were excited about when he got the call because he's catcher eligible, but pretty much played the outfield. And he did catch a little this year also, but he kind of moved all around. Didn't really hit like off the charts, but it felt like towards the end of the year when he started playing regularly in just the outfield, we saw him start hitting better. And they moved him around the lineup a bit. He was leading off some games, hitting towards the bottom of the order. But it seemed like there was a little glimmer of hope towards the end there to kind of get to where we saw him with the power-speed combo in the minors. He's going to pick 247, like especially a catcher eligibility that's huge. But what do you uh, see with Dalton Varsho? Yeah, I mean, the, the huge thing is just the catching eligibility. The NF- NFBC is doing seven games. So he qualifies, and that's awesome because, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be eligible catcher in 2022 or 2023, but the fact that he's eligible there in 2021, to me, makes him draftable kind of around pick 200, uh, especially, like, like for instance, I love Ila Jimenez in the third round this year. Like, I think he's a guy that's going to hit 40 homers and hit around 300. Um and I, I just love getting him in the third round, but I hate that I'm not getting any stolen bases from him. Yeah. But if I take uh, Dalton Varsho as my first or second catcher, then all of a sudden I could get 15 steals from my catcher and I'm okay. Uh, so I think that he's just a really nice piece to target if you end up using a top three or top four round pick on a guy that's not going to steal bases. Could he be? And I probably am speaking way out of turn. And, uh, to Toby, I apologize. Could he be like a, a JT Romuto light? Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> just just the speed stands out the most. Yeah, like, I, no, I don't know if he's got the power and the average, but just to kind of have I, a little bit of all that at catcher. <laughs> I think I want to look up what Real Muto's season high in steals was. Um, I would guess that I think Varsho is going to have a higher season high steals total in some season than Real Muto's ever had without really ever reaching the the rest of Real Muto's heights. So Real Muto stole 12 bases in 2016. That's his high. I think Don Barshow could steal 15 next year, but I would be kind of banking on like a 240 average, 250 average from him. I think eventually the hit tool will continue to progress. Um, you know, he, he could eventually be like a 270, 280 guy. Uh, who hits double-digit homers, but by then he might no longer be eligible a catcher. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, I see where you're going. Um, <laughs> and, and the speed is definitely a, a nice thing that they both have in common. But I mean, Real Muto has just been such He's a machine. I, yeah. I, I don't want Toby to add yeah. tweet. So, that's, so. that's what that's what I took care. Of. I took care <laughs> of it for you, so you don't have to worry about it. I'll, I'll deal with that ramification. But um, I just saw that. I'm like, you know, I know he's not going to be for average, but maybe, maybe. Um, so well, let's have some quick hitters here because you've even mentioned names that aren't on the outline. The one thing, and I don't know how much you enjoyed it. I, I know we all enjoyed it, but for the extra work you had to put in last year we saw a ton of call-ups, like a ton of call-ups on a shortened season. So there was constantly just guys coming in and out, and they're all going to be talked about for drafts this year. But let's just have some pitchers here. Spencer Howard, you in or you out for 2021? I mean, he, he's hurt. Like, I, I just – and he's, he's like, one of those guys where I'm worried. Like, I'm worried that he was pitching hurt the whole time because he didn't look in his – the starts of his that I saw last year, he didn't look as sharp as he looked in the AFL. And the velo started to to kind of fluctuate, it, kind of in, in scary ways. So I just I think he's hurt. I don't even know how much we see of him next year. So he's kind of off my off my list entirely right now. Being hurt for the whole time would have made sense of why they just didn't put him in the rotation. Like they toyed with them in the bullpen and stuff for a while. So that would make a lot more sense. Now um, we saw a couple Tigers come up first. Tariq Skubal. I think he pitched a little better than the one everyone wanted to see. So are you thinking uh, you're in on Skubal this year? Uh, with Scooble and Mize, I'll take them inside the top 300, but they're guys where they kind of need to fall to me. Like I'm not going to be the one that reaches on either of them in a draft. Uh, just, I think Scooble and, and I think Mize, like, like Scooble has a very high ceiling. We've seen that. Um, Mize, I think his secondary stuff is still really good. His fastball is just it's not a useful pitch if he can't locate it and if hitters know it's coming. Um, and I think with both those Tigers guys, you're going to see very high highs and very low lows even next year. So uh, I definitely don't want to have to keep one of these guys in my rotation every week. I'd like to be able to, to spot start them if I can. Um, but yeah, inside the top 300, but probably not inside the top 250. Okay. Michael Kopech obviously took the year off for, COVID reasons, other reasons. He had his reasons for opting out. And he's going to be back this year, should be healthy. He's already putting on his social media. He's ready to go. All these things. Now, innings limits is going to be a concern for sure. But are you willing to take Kopech in a draft? I guess we know how talented that arm is. Yeah. You know, I think I, I'm going to be kind of hands off right now. I want to see him pitch in some um, – some spring games and I want to see the everything kind of look the way it did pre-injury. And then I'll probably get back in on him. It might be too late at that point. I mean, if, if he starts looking good in the spring, he's going to start going inside the top 200 because there's no pitching out there. Uh, but again, I'm just kind of taking a hands off approach on all these guys coming back from any kind of procedure, even if they're reportedly healthy. Yeah. Um, Debbie Garcia, he pitched pretty darn good actually for the Yankees in his call up and people were hyped for him to, to get the call up. Now, obviously, the AL East has not as good as it once was, but still very, very talented. The, the Jays and the Orioles are sneaky and the Rays, and you got that to play with. But pitching for the Yankees isn't going to stink at any time. Do you look at a guy like Davey as a later-round target? Uh, no, because he's just going to go higher than I would take him. Um, True. Like, I, I would I would take Clark Schmidt over Davey uh, straight up right now even though Davey definitely had much higher highs. I have no idea what the Yankees were doing when they had 
Clark Schmidt make his MLB debut with runners on out of the bullpen. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think he, I think they both are going to compete for rotation spots next year. I think uh, Garcia, the reason why I've just been lower on him for a while is I think he's a hundred to 120 inning arm. And I think that you can use that in various ways. You could use him kind of like the Dodgers use Ross Stripling, where he's a starter for like a third of the season and a reliever for the rest of it. Um, you know, the, the command, for some reason, he was just way better at throwing strikes this year than he had been in the past. I'm less willing to buy in on that type of a big command gain from a pitcher than I am like a hitter cutting down his strikeout rate. Um, like we, we've seen pitchers kind of have uh, little runs of being able to throw strikes and then it kind of reverts back. Um, so I'm just, I'm not really a believer in him giving you a uh, value throughout the season in a starting role. I think he'll be a good pitcher for the Yankees in some capacity, but I think some of that could come in the bullpen. All right. A uh, couple bats here. Andrew Vaughn, there was a point in the season where we thought we might get to see him, but we did not. We know the hit tool is amazing out of Cal. Um, I saw him live a couple years ago. I thought he looked like a mini Josh Donaldson a little bit, the way he was doing things. And we should, on paper, get to see him next year. Are you, and I know people are drafting him already because he's going off the board. Are you? Uh, what's your like thoughts on him? Because I know you might not want to take the gamble on him playing, but what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, you know, plus hit, plus power, um, chance for maybe a bit more than plus on, on those two tools. Uh, I'm not that interested in redraft right now. You know where he's going. I just don't know when he's in that lineup. It could be on opening day, especially if they can come to some sort of long-term agreement like they did with Robert, but um, it could also be May, June. Like at that point, do I want to stash um, a hitter we've never really seen above uh, high A that high? Um, probably not. And and we talked about corner guys that, that we both like um, later. So I, I love Vaughn. I love the talent. I love how that White Sox lineup is going to look midseason. Once you inject him into it, they're just going to be so much fun to watch. But for redraft leagues, he's just not really on my radar where he's going right now. Yeah, it's got to be like a, a best ball draft champions where you're gonna, you can stock something up later is the only way that works out for me right now. Um, the other guy that we did see last year, and he actually hit for a little higher average than I think most expected – but man, I, I would look at him for DFS and look at his stat cast page. Like everything Bobby Dahlbeck did was pretty awesome. And, and we knew he was going to strike out a lot, and he did that. But man, when he had made contact, it was terrifying what he did up there. Shouldn't play every day for the Red Sox. Going late in drafts, is he a guy you're willing to kind of make a late play on? No. Um, <laughs> the st- I, I see too much Aristide Sequino here. Um, oh, man. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just, just in terms of like, how bad it could go and how quickly it could go that way. Like True. the strikeout rate's just crazy high. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, maybe he just proves me wrong. Maybe he's like kind of, um, Miguel Sano where he hits like two thirty and hits 35 homers while he hits two thirty or something like that. Um, uh, but I just, those aren't the type of guys I'm drafted really, uh, regardless. Like I would take, uh, take Edwin Rios over him even though the playing time's not as locked in like I just see a much more sustainable skill set there I like the Edwin Rios call because that hit tool is pretty darn legit so uh, I like that yeah Bobby Dahlbeck in uh, 92 plate appearances 
42.4% K rate. For those keeping track at home, it's almost one out of every two at bats. That's <laughs> that's pretty pretty bad. But uh, but you put the ball in play. Different story. Um, last bit here. Do you have anybody else? Because like you mentioned, guys, I said there's tons of them. Tons of guys that are going to be talked about up till draft season. Is there any that we didn't talk about that are kind of on your radar? Yeah, I'll give you a three. Um, Leody Tavares. Okay. Like he's probably not going to hit 250 next year. But he could go 2020. Like if they give him the playing time, what he showed um, this past year is he can hit for power already against big league pitching, and he's going to steal bases. So if you need speed, kind of in the the mid to late rounds, I think Leody Tavares is a good guy to, to go after. And then uh, Alex Kirilov with the Twins made his uh, big league debut in the playoffs. Uh, that was obviously a loss because it was a game that he played for the Twins, but. Um, <laughs> I think I think they're going to find a spot for him on an everyday basis in that lineup. It might not be on opening day, but I think it'll be in April. Uh, Nelson Cruz is a free agent. I, I think they'd probably like to come to terms with a one-year deal with him, but, I mean, you just never know. Like, the, Byron Buxton finished the year with a concussion. Um, Max Kepler struggled last year. Eddie Rosario. I, I think Eddie Rosario is a sneaky – non-tender candidate because I think he's going to make more in his last year of arbitration than the twins are going to think he's worth. Um, so I just think there's all kinds of different ways where Alex Kirilov is getting everyday bats. And then TJ Antone with the Reds, um, they have Trevor Bauer likely leaving in free agency. Uh, Anthony Scofani, he's a free agent. I don't know if that even matters, but I think TJ Antone's a guy that's going to have a rotation spot next year. And, you know, the stat cast data on him is, is really impressive. I think he's going super late in drafts and just given the state of pitching, I'd roll the dice on TJ Anton. Yeah. I've heard TJ's name a lot lately. So that's good to see that checks out with you as well. Um, let me pull up the listener questions. And while I do that, Yancey came into the live chat and asked, we demand to know which Rotoware shirt James is wearing. Oh, the big bear Azuna one. Uh, okay. Cause yeah, he's, he thought it was Domendo's the fresh maker, but uh, no, there you go, Yancey. There you go. Big Barrow Zuna. Man, Ozuna, what a season he had. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but some of the listener questions, you sent me one in a DM about um, about Keston here at for, for Dynasty. How do you, like, you're into buying him at pick 70, but on a long term Dynasty scale, I'm assuming you're just good with waiting on him, but what's your thoughts? Uh, you know, to me, he's still a top 50 guy in Dynasty. Uh, the difference is like now he's someone you could actually go trade for um, before this year. It would have been pretty tough to pry him loose. Now I think you can make uh, an offer that's, that's pretty reasonable if you're willing to deal some solid prospects for him. Um, I, I think he's kind of properly valued right now. I don't think I've seen people go too far in one direction or um, too far in the other direction with him. So like I think in a batting average league, I would take him still over like Kevin Biggio, who you might be able to flip in OBP. I'd take Biggio. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Kira, every, no one's kind of freaking out to the extent where I would say you've got to go try to get Kessin Kira, um, but you can go get him if, if you believe in him. Uh, I think the strikeout rate is, is concerning, but as I said, like the power is definitely going to be there. The playing time is definitely going to be there. I like that. And Biggio and ever going right next to each other in uh, redrafts. So that's a, a very good comp. Uh, Marty Tillman, Tallman asks, 
where are you ranking Casey Mize in the early mocks? He's ranked 263, and his ADP is 267. He's being drafted around Eduardo Rodriguez, Michael Kopech, and Justice Sheffield. How does that does that sound about right for you? Or what's your? I know you kind of hit on him earlier, but we didn't mention Justice Sheffield. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably take Mize over over all those guys. Just kind of betting on the talent. I mean, it, the crazy and, and kind of unfortunate thing is like if if the Indians got their hands on Casey Mize, I think they'd turn him into a number two starter really quickly, um, just by sort of altering his pitch mix. I don't know if the Tigers are going to be smart enough to figure that out, but um, like I, I, the talent's still there. I think he's healthy. Like, I don't think he's broken. Um, so he's not a target, but if he slips into that range, then, then I'd, I'd pop him. Billy B from Canada asks, what sort of ADP do you see for Kyle Tucker in 2021 redraft and in dynasty leagues? Cause we know he's going to like, there's chatter of him going to the second round in some of some more like third or fourth. Where do you see the good spot for Tucker? Um, I prefer Trent Grisham to yeah. Tucker, and I think Tucker's going to go ahead of Grisham in pretty much every draft. So um, I'm probably going to be out in redraft. I do think he will creep into the, the late second round in 15-teamers, early third and 12-teamers just because of the power speed. Um, you know, I, I was definitely wrong about Tucker. I faded him coming into the year just given where he was going. Uh, but was dead wrong about that. But I, I still think there might be a little bit of overreaction to him um, pushing him. If, if you start pushing him into that kind of Bo Bichette, Ozzy Albies range of the second round, then I think he's he's going a little bit too high. Like he could legit get pushed in. Like would there's a chance he goes ahead of a guy like Lou Bob. Like how crazy oh, is that for you? I think he's going to go ahead of. I think he's going to go ahead of him on average. Uh, and, oh, and yeah, I would I would take Robert because. Um, you know, I would bet, I'd bet on Kyle Tucker hitting for a higher average, but I don't think it's going to be like a 50 point gap between the two. And I, I just think Robert's going to hit more homers and steal more bases. Um, Brian Vogel, a very experienced NFBC player asks, who is the likeliest player to win the next triple crown? And why is it Juan Soto? Do you think Juan Soto could be the next guy? <laughs> I don't, don't see why not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's he's probably like, like batting average, um, man, I, I don't know what his best season is going to look like. I, it's, it's crazy. Like he's, he sort of got, he reminds me in, in some ways of Barry Bonds. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know what the ceiling is on him. Um, he's a really tough guy. Cause like I want him in redraft in like the top five, but I've also found myself, I, I took Trey Turner over him, uh, in part because of, like outfield, if if there's a tiebreaker, I'm taking the non-outfielder in that first round, um, just because that like there's so many rounds in the first like ten to twelve rounds where best hitter available is an outfielder for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been using that as a tiebreaker for Turner, but I mean Soto, he's so he's so awesome. Yeah, I'm a Turner guy as well. I took him second in a draft just because just there's arguments for all the guys. Like I get, I'm not going to argue with any of them because they make sense. But uh, I took Turner second. It is funny. I'm glad you mentioned that part, though, because there's like the one through five everyone talks about, and Soto's usually not even in that conversation when you listen to a I lot take, of them. And it's wild. I take him over Trout. Um, I don't even have Trout in my top five because I think I think you need to get you need to get speed in the in the first round if you're taking a hitter. 
I'm 100% with you. It's a, you just made a very, very controversial statement to many people, but uh, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Like, uh, so it's I just not about, yeah. like, it, well, first of all, we don't even know that Mike Trout's a better hitter than Juan Soto anymore. Like, I mean, that, how true. big is that gap? Second yeah. of all, like, it's not about taking the best hitter or the best player. You're mm-hmm. trying to win a fantasy baseball league and yep. you need to get certain stats to do that. Yeah. You know? I'm 100% with you. That's uh, that's great. Like if I ever make snippets out of my podcast, I just found it. But um, his other question is, Luis Garcia, what do you think his ceiling is? Um, he's such a unique prospect because he has the pedigree and he had that sort of rapid ascent to the majors getting there at such a young age. Like that type of run you typically see from the guys like Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, guys that get to the big leagues when they're 20. Uh, he's not that type of player at all from a tool standpoint. He's a hit above power, uh, not a guy that's going to run much, a uh, pretty good defender. And so it's the, the hit tool has actually gotten him into trouble a little bit, in my opinion, because he can make contact and put so many pitches in play that he puts so many pitchers' pitches in play instead of getting himself in accounts where he can drive the ball. Um, so I could see him running some high but empty batting averages I think he's going to kind of have to work on that approach and be a little bit more patient. I don't want to say passive, but, you know, go up there with a plan and get yourself into a hitter's count and then get a pitch that you can drive. Cause he does have raw power, but he just, he ends up dunking so many balls uh, that are just kind of weakly hit and easily fieldable uh, because he is so good at making contact at such a young age. Uh, I think two years from now, if everything goes well, we're looking at maybe a, a Justin Turner type of player where he's hitting for a high average with 20, 25 homer pop. Uh, but that's if everything goes well. There's there's other scenarios as well. Well, that would be uh, quite the gift to get for them. Just another another guy on the Nationals, another young player with a great hit tool on the Washington Nationals. That, that's good to hear. But um, that'll wrap us up, James. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Go ahead and uh, – Plug what you got going at Rotowire and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RealJRAnderson, uh, rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10 day trial without a credit card. Uh, I have my article up on the site right now, um, recommending some bets for the World Series that probably will be expired by the time you're listening to this, uh, unless you're listening to it live. Um, so check that out. I also put out, a, as I said, a top 400 for redraft leagues. Um, after going through multiple draft champions, I, I put that together. So that's up on the side as well. If you're doing any early drafts. Yeah, no. And, uh, I, I tell everybody when I have Rotowire guests on that I've been a subscriber on Rotowire since I was in college. So we've been doing, I've, it's a long time. It's a cut. It's a great product. So I recommend people go try it out. Uh, you, you won't regret it. Good and good people. And, uh, always appreciate you joining the show, James. It's like, I did the count today. You are the sixth time on this show, which I think is wow. a record for a guest. So I appreciate you joining me once again. Oh, that's really cool. Thanks so much for having me this much, Brian. I'd do it anytime. No problem. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 317, James Anderson of Rotowire. Go check him out on Twitter at RealJRAnderson, and we will catch you guys next time. <laughs>